Chapter 3 of Time Telling Through the Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Time Telling Through the Ages by Harry Chase Brerley. Chapter 3 How Man Began to Model After Nature we now have reached a point far ahead of our story and must take a backward step we have been seeing man as a mere observer of nature but man doesn't stop with nature as he finds it his man-brain drives him forward he must make improvements of his own animals may live and die and leave no trace save their bones which for the most part soon disappear but man always leaves traces behind him. He has always interfered with nature, or rather has modeled after nature, seeing in her work the revelations of principles and laws that he might utilize in varying ways for his own benefit and progress. Our material civilization is built up from the accumulated results of all this study and control of nature, by hundreds of millions of busy brains and hands through tens of thousands of years here we are then living in a sense on the top of the ages of human history like the dwellers on a coral island hundreds of generations have toiled to raise the vast structure for us like the little coral polyps which build their own lives into the mass yet we take it all as a matter of course and rarely give a thought to the marvelous ways by which it has come about you may have just glanced at your watch to you perhaps a watch has always seemed merely a small mechanism which was bought in a store that is true and yet remember this the first manufacturer who had a hand in producing that watch for you may have been a caveman in order to appreciate this development let us return therefore for another rapid view of prehistoric times life in its crudest form one day much like another a scanty population huddled in little groups in places naturally sheltered the simplest physical needs to be provided for little thought of the past or care for the future time reckoning reduced to the single thought of appointment no reason for measuring intervals in these and other respects antiquity presented the greatest possible contrast to our complicated modern life the long-armed man of our first chapter noticed that as the sun moved the shadows of the cliff also moved as did all other shadows as he formed habits of regularity it was natural for him to perform a certain daily act when perhaps the shadow of a certain tree touched upon a certain stone this would be a natural sundial but a thinner sharper shadow would be easier to observe suppose therefore that some successor to the long-armed man set up a pole in some open space and laid a stone to mark the spot where the shadow fell when the sun was highest in the heavens that would be an artificial sundial 
a device deliberately planned to accomplish a certain purpose the man who first took such a step was probably the first manufacturer who had a hand in supplying you with your watch the shaggy mammoth the terrible saber-toothed tiger and the eohippus the small ancestor of our modern horse must have been familiar sights when time recording at the hands of some rude unconscious inventor thus began the long story of its development one stone reached by the moving shadow would mark only one point of time each day why not place two stones three stones or even more and get more markings such a procedure would be more useful because it would indicate the time of other happenings in the course of the day the sun would pass across the skies and the shadow must travel around the pole what more natural than to place the stones in a circle and get a series of these markings of course as the ages passed life became more complex not complex as we would consider it today but as compared with its rude beginnings new habits were formed new needs developed new activities were undertaken at different periods here then was the sprouting of modern civilization the beginning of that specializing of each man in his own particular direction that has carried the world to its present high state of expertness in so many fields slowly steadily and inevitably this principle of specialization has been developed with the increase of laws for example certain men came to give them special study and then to sell their knowledge and skill to other men who had no opportunity for such study in course of time the aggregation of laws became so great that these lawyers were forced to specialize among themselves today therefore we find a number of classes of law specialists the same thing is true of doctors who have limited their practice until we find those who treat the eye only or the lungs the stomach or the teeth even the treatment of the teeth has been subdivided some dentists limiting themselves to extraction and some of them even to the treatment of a single disease of the gums engineering too has branched like a tree and the branches have branched again and yet again electrical engineering has come to be divided into so many departments that telephone companies employ specialists in many branches of the engineering profession we find the same conditions in any field of thought or activity all commercial and industrial life is divided and subdivided labor is specialized writing is specialized teaching is specialized even warfare has become a contest between many kinds of trained specialists each employing the tools of his trade and every man's outlook upon life is directed chiefly toward the particular corner of the particular field that he has fitted himself to occupy the first step toward this complex condition of the modern world was taken when each man stopped getting his own food 
making his own weapons and providing for all his individual wants without dependence upon others when he learned to exchange that which he could best produce for that which some other man had learned to make better than he the human race unconsciously turned away from the status of the birds and the beasts and began the long slow upward climb that history records it was then through trade barter and exchange that man began to acquire the manners of civilized life trade itself became a specialized activity and dealers who did nothing but buy and sell but themselves produced no material goods found that a special calling was rightfully theirs the modern merchant is the heir of one of the first specialists in human activity and the misunderstood work of the so-called middleman is one of the bases of modern civilization a necessary and honorable calling civilization is a thing of the spirit but it has the support of material things and it has been truly said that the degree of a people's civilization can be measured by the multiplicity of its needs the savage is content with food shelter and a covering for his body but every step in civilization's progress has a more and more complex material accompaniment and these interwoven relationships of modern life in which the question of time is a most important factor can only be sustained through the use of accurate time measure in other words modern civilization leans upon the watch but here again we have run somewhat ahead of our story which as a matter of fact had only reached the point of primitive sundials but this anticipation will be excused because of the importance of emphasizing that the growing interdependence of human relations had made it necessary to take into account the convenience of a greater and greater number of people and this involved closer and closer time recording in smaller divisions of time by more exact methods the sundial underwent so many changes that a volume would be needed to describe them all for example it was found that the shadow of an upright stick or stone varied from day to day because as we have already noticed the sun rises farther north in summer in the northern hemisphere than it does in winter so the mark for a certain hour would change as the season changed and the dial would not indicate time accurately Berossus, a chaldean historian and priest of bel or baal a god of the old babylonian lived about the year 250 bc and hit upon a very ingenious way of solving this difficulty he made the dial hollow like the inside of a bowl into this the shadow was cast by a little round ball or bead at the end of a pointer that stood horizontally out over the bowl now the sky itself is like a great bowl or inverted hemisphere and howsoever the sun moved upon it the shadow would move in the same way upon the inside of the bowl or hemisphere and by drawing lines in the bowl similar to the lines of longitude upon the map the hours could be correctly measured 
the hemicycle of barosis as it was called remained in use for centuries and was the favorite form of sundial all through the classic period of greece and rome cicero had one at his villa near tusculum and one was found in seventeen sixty two at pompeii but the hemicycle was not easy to make unless it were fairly small and if small it was not very easy to read you can see that a shadow which travelled only a few inches in a whole day would move so slowly that one could hardly see it go and the shadow of a round ball is not a clear sharp-pointed thing like the hand of a watch whose exact position can be seen however small it may be besides the ancients were not very particular about exact timekeeping they had no trains to catch and in their leisurely lives convenience counted for more than doing things on the minute so they still continued using the upright pointer which the greeks called the nomon meaning the one who knows cleopatra's needle and other egyptian obelisks may also have been used as huge gnomons to cast their shadows upon mammoth dials for they were dedicated to the sun with an object of such great size the shadow would move rapidly enough to be followed easily by the eye but of course its motion would be irregular because of the flat surface of the dial the word dial by the way comes from the latin dies meaning day because it determined the divisions of the day then there was applied the idea of making the shadow move over a hollow space such as a walled courtyard going down one side across and up the other side as the sun went up across and down the sky sometimes light was used instead of shadow the place being partially roofed over and a single beam of light being admitted through a small hole at the southern end men kept track of the motion of this beam as it touched one point after another during the day do you remember the miracle of the dial of ahaz mentioned in the bible hezekiah the king was sick and despondent and would not believe that he could ever recover from his illness or prevail against his enemies so the prophet isaiah in an effort to comfort the royal sufferer made the shadow return backward ten degrees upon the dial of ahaz as a sign from heaven that his prophecy of the king's future recovery was true you will find the story in isaiah chapter thirty eight this dial of ahaz was probably a curved flight of steps rising like the side of a huge bowl at one end of the palace courtyard with either a shadow cast by a pointer overhead or a beam of light admitted through an opening it can be seen that this and similar great dials were applications of the hemicycle idea on a large scale according to our chronology the dial of ahaz must have been built during the eighth century b c although the sundial period was of course many hundreds of years older than this yet the story of this hebrew king and prophet is the first authentic reference to a sundial which has been discovered however the final improvement of the dial was made 
when it was discovered that by slanting the pointer or gnomon exactly toward the north pole of the sky the point where the north star appears at night the sun's shadow could be cast upon a flat surface with accurate results in indicating time this may sound simple but if you will look at a sundial such as may still be found in gardens you will see that the lines of the hours and minutes are laid out on certain carefully calculated angles you will realize that people had to acquire considerable knowledge before they were capable of making such calculations the whole subject of dial making is so complicated that in sixteen twelve there was published a big book of eight hundred pages on the subject the angles of the lines of the sundial must be different for different latitudes it took that strong-arm race of ancient times the romans a hundred years to learn this fact the romans at this time were developing their civilization from the shoulders downward while the greeks and some of the greek colonies developed theirs from the shoulders upward rome was a burly power with powerful military muscles whatever it wanted it went out and took at the point of the sword as some nations have endeavored to do in latter days thus the city of rome became a vast storehouse of miscellaneous loot the fruit of other men's brains and hands some conqueror of that day took back with him a sundial from the greek colony of sicily this was set up in rome where nobody realized that even the power of rome's armies was not able to transplant the angle of the sun as it shone upon sicily far to the southward it was nearly one hundred years before these self-satisfied robbers found that they had been getting the wrong time record from the stolen instrument thus the original owners had a form of belated revenge could they but have known it one of the largest of all the sundials was the one set up by the roman emperor augustus when he returned from his egyptian wars bringing with him an obelisk not unlike the one which now stands near the metropolitan museum of art in central park new york city if you can imagine this egyptian obelisk with its strange hieroglyphic characters upon its four sides surrounded by a great dial with the figures of the hours marked upon its surface you will get an idea of the size of this huge timepiece however it was probably more picturesque than valuable as a timekeeper there is an important difference between clocks and sundials aside from the self-evident one of the difference in their construction clock time is based on what is called mean time if we study the almanac table of times of sunrises and sunsets and count the number of hours from sunrise of one day to sunrise of the next we find it is rarely exactly twenty-four hours but usually a few minutes more or less while the average for the whole year is twenty-four hours the clock is constructed to keep uniform time based on this average length of day the sundial time marks apparent time the actual varying length of each day the sundial time therefore 
is nearly always some minutes ahead or behind that of a clock the greatest discrepancy being about sixteen minutes for a few days in november there are however four days in the year when the clock and the sundial agree perfectly in the time they indicate these days are april fifteenth june fifteenth september first and december twenty fourth when in the eighteenth century clocks and watches began to come into widespread use sundials fell into neglect except as an appropriate bit of ornament in gardens at castletown in the isle of man is a remarkable sundial with thirteen faces dating from seventeen twenty it was usual to place on sundials appropriate mottoes expressing a sentiment exciting inspiration or giving a warning to better living a dial that used to be at paul's cross london bore an inscription in latin which translated means i count none but the sunny hours in an old sweet-scented garden in sussex was a sundial with a plate bearing four mottoes each for its own season after darkness light alas how swift i wait whilst i move so passes life sometimes short familiar proverbs were used like all things do wax and wane the longest day must end make hay while the sun shines it is told of lord bacon that without intending to do so he furnished the motto borne by a dial that stood in the old temple gardens in london a young student was sent to him for a suggestion for the motto of the dial then being built his lordship was busy at work in his rooms when the messenger humbly and respectfully made his request there was no answer a second request met with equally oppressive silence and seeming ignorance of even the existence of the speaker at last when the petitioner ventured a third attack on the attention of the venerable chancellor bacon looked up and said sharply sirrah be gone about your business a thousand thanks my lord was the unexpected reply the very thing for the dial nothing could be better we see that the principle of the sundial has been recognized and utilized for many centuries indeed we still find sundials placed in gardens and parks although we rarely take the trouble to look to them for the time like the dinosaur and the saber-toothed tiger they have had their day they have been forced to give way to devices that overcame some of their objections therefore we must not linger too long upon what is after all a closed chapter in the history of time recording End of chapter 3 Recording by Linda Johnson